0: This episode of Making Games Is Fun is with Ricky Haggett. Ricky is previously of Honey Slug but now he heads up Hollow Ponds with his wife and they're working on a currently unannounced title. I met Ricky outside the Hollow Ponds office where we went into a nice little sort of bar restaurant thingy, so it's quite a a bit of hubbub and background noise in this one but I quite like it, it makes it busy and and nice and cosy. And I talked to him about all sorts of stuff. I talked to him about Hokum, which is one game he was very heavily involved with, and how it came about from sort of a variety of prototypes. And we look at that process of taking various game ideas to fruition and the little accidents that occur along the way. Really, really interesting, actually, how it started life and how it ended up at Hokum and it's a great game. So It's just so cool to just like get an insight into something like that and see, see how something like that comes about. So that's really cool. He talks about making old games for mobile phones back in the day and, and for the mighty Amiga. Yes, more Amiga chat on this podcast. That's what we need. Yes, please. Ricky also reveals how Wilmot's Warehouse started life as well, something that he considered to be a t- t- stupid idea. Essentially, um, his colleague Dick Hogg was the first person to sort of bring it up, and he was like a warehouse game. Um, but eventually, it, it came to be something really quite cool. So he talks a bit about that, as well as how he got into a play fight with Kate Takahashi, as they were creating Tenya Wanya teens which was a game made for Wild Rumpus. We also talk about the forming of Wild Rumpus and the first event they did and how it went unexpectedly well. And a little bit about his love for music. Ricky's really cool. It was great to meet him. We got on immediately. He's a great dude. He's a very talented dude. And uh, yeah, and he's fun to be around. So the chat's really cool and it just flows and it's really nice. So thanks, Ricky, for the chat. I had a lot of fun. Just before we start, the reminder we've got a patreon yeah i'm asking again but um if you can spare any little bit towards keeping this podcast alive and keeping it running it is always hugely appreciated you can do one dollar creation or three dollars to get the early access very simple that's it if you head over to patreon.com forward slash m g i f you can see how you can help us and even a little contribution makes a huge difference when everyone pitches in. So if you can, pop us a quid. Pop us a dollar. It's not even a quid. It's a dollar. It's less than a quid. And if you really enjoy it and you want to get that early access privilege, it's only three dollars. But whatever you can afford genuinely massively helps. So thank you to everyone who is at Patreon who's listening to this on early access. And thank you to anyone who's listening and showing an interest. I really appreciate it. Now, let's get into it. The latest episode of Making Games is Fun with Ricky Haggett
1: I used to collect rubber bands. You used to collect rubber bands? You know the bands? red... Before the, before the postman changed to uh, boring elastic bands, they used to be bright red. Do you know this? Right, in yeah. Okay. you used to see them everywhere. And one day, I was <laughs> like, how many elastic bands do I see on my walk to work? And I thought, well, I can just pick them up and then count them. Right. So I did it, and I started... I, I just clicked them. I was like, what? Well, I've got like eight, eight elastic bands just from this walk. <laughs> and then I made the mistake of having a plastic bag at work that I decided to put them in. Right. And then at that point, you've got, a, you've got an elastic band collection. <laughs> and then I started turning it into a proper game. And I was like literally being like, okay, I've walked down this particular street too often this week. So I'm going to try going this way and I reckon I'll get some more. <laughs> and then, and then buy, I did it for about a year. By the end of the year, I was like going up to people's front doors where the postman had obviously like dropped alone. I'd be like, I'm having these. And I'd like scurry around people's front gardens collecting them. And by the end, I had a plastic, because I had to change plastic bags a few times. I ended up with a plastic bag the size of a pillow <laughs> full, of, full of red elastic bands. That's amazing. And I really, want, I didn't do this because it would have been a dick move, but wouldn't it have been great just to empty them all into a post box? No, <laughs> that's good. So go. Yeah, I'm giving them back.
0: Yeah, it's almost like to kindness, but like a really annoying one. Yeah, <laughs> just re- returning them to you, man. That's that a whole year. Did you start? Did you start taking notes on different roads? No, but okay. I
1: did have a pretty good sense of where I was going to get good. It was ones, all up here, I, and it was always <laughs> very. It was kind of like playing. It was basically Pokemon Go before it was Pokemon Go. You'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> I found a nest. <laughs>
0: That is, that is such a gamer thing, a collect thon right? Just yeah. The rate, rate of collection miss it. on each road. Miss it. When and did I, you do that? Um, How long ago? Uh,
1: 2000 and, like, I'm going to say, like, it was during Hohokam. I it was like, 2013, <laughs> right. 2012, something okay. like that. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, my word. I like that. That was not the uh, that was not the segue into Hohokam chat I was expecting from Elastic Bands to, to that. But, <laughs> hey, let's talk about Hohokam. Sure. Because... <laughs> um, that was an interesting game. It was something that my um, I used to get my daughter interested in games when she was sort of old enough to to enjoy the interactivity but um, didn't much care for fail states. Because yep. I remember the first thing I gave to her, she must have been, well, maybe not the, the very first thing, but one of the first things. Uh, maybe she was four. She's seven now. so She might have been three, three to four. Um, <clears throat> and I just went... Oh, try this. This is a uh, Mario Brothers. And she hated it. Because it's, it's hard. Sorry, it's hard. And you die pretty quickly with not much indication of what's going on. And I thought, this is the wrong thing to, to choose, isn't it? Um and from that and from um she had an interest in Mario Kart, but again, just basically drive at the wall for yep. eight minutes and you're trying to not be Frustrated and go, What's, if you're having fun, darling, that's fine. You know, eh, your timer's on like eight minutes, lap one, you know. Yep. And you think, ah, what she needs is something without fail states. And actually, one of the first things I put her on was um, the training mode in Rocket League. Huh. Because you can just blast around, you can't crash, Does it you can't lose. It steer you away from the walls. Uh, well, you just go to the walls and fall uh, off. So, fa- yeah. so failure. Well, it's not real failure, but the failure is funny anyway because you just go flipping around and blah, blah blah blah. And then she'll start start to get a feel of oh right, if yeah. I do this, that happens. Um, and I just think that's weirdly that's something that Hokum shares in DNA in the sense totally, that yeah. there isn't a fail state, and it's about exploring and it's about enjoying what you're seeing and. and Directing the scene, right?
1: Yeah, and hopefully it's expressive as well. Like, like when you put your finger on the stick and you move the stick around, a thing happens on screen which is quite expressive of mm. what you are doing with your finger. Yes. you know, in Mario, in Mario, if you press right, Mario goes right. If you press left, Mario goes left, or whatever. If you mm. press jumpy, jump, jumps, but there's not a ton of like analog stuff going on between those states. Whereas no. in Hohokam you can kind of, you know, you can w- wiggle that stick around loads and look at the screen and be like, oh, yeah, I'm wiggling the stick around loads. Yeah. see it on screen. Yeah. In a way that I think is quite good for little kids and, like, and animals, maybe. Mm. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it has that... You're almost drawing, really, aren't you? It's got that feel, that tactile, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you discover you've got the shoulder button modifiers and you can start whizzing around. Yeah. But with that kind of... Um, Slight element of you have less control, but in a fun way, right? So you're yeah. flying, but it's like, oh god, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm going crazy here. But I can, I can make some effort of turning, but um, it's not a frustrating feel, and it's it's more of a
1: yeah. I mean, there's no, there's nothing you're trying to achieve specifically. No, in, in any kind of time limit, so that no. it doesn't really matter. Yes, yeah, we put a lot of time into tuning that stuff. Yeah, trying to get it just to feel really, really nice, and like under the hood, there's tons of little special cases and extra little bits and bobs that just like make it feel not like stock yes like it's just it just does a bunch of little things you know yeah. medals medals with the medals with its physics slightly in subtle ways that just hopefully makes it feel really nice what's and, the process
0: was, of that like then like uh, just constantly tinkering with it
1: yeah uh, throughout the whole of development like I mean, right. once we had that, once we had that basic version of the snake thing flying around. Yeah. Um, I don't think, yeah, like the whole time we were playing it, we would just be meddling with it a little bit all the time. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, what did it, what did it look like at the start of Hohokam? How did it start life?
1: So we started actually like with, with Dick. So I, I worked with a guy called um, Richard Hogg, Dick Hogg. Um, he's like a really old friend of mine. Um, and he, at the time when we started making Hohokam, he was a, like an illustrator at um, a studio called airside and I was making mobile games and just started getting into flash and he just sent me a drawing of a thing that's been like oh let's make a video game here's a drawing and it was this weird machine that was like taking in these little lumps of rock and spitting out these little colorful beans right and he's like well, let's make a thing and it's going to be like it's going to have like maybe it'll have like machines in it and it'll be a bit like a kind of um, futuristic version of uh, adobe illustrator <laughs> like a drawing package or something right and maybe it would have physics. And we just started to make this little toy box of, of toys, little, little machines and things. Um, and over the years, I mean, literally it took several years of us like, not working at all full-time, like working in little bursts of a week here and there. You know, I would, I would have a spare week or whatever or go on holiday on my laptop, yeah. do, do a little burst of work, and he'd do a bunch of drawing over quite a long period of time. We made side on puzzle platformers. We made like top down things that felt a bit like Flow, that game Flow. Um, we made a whole ton of little prototypes. It was like a mini golf game. I think where you were <laughs> it's like, really. a, Yeah, it was like a little character who used to whack these little musical beans up around all these different cogs. <laughs> um, so we made all these like weird little toys and they all sort of had the vibe of Hohokum and they all had the colors and the, we were kind of interested in the music side of it. But until like the last sort of bit when it really came together none of those things were actually Hohokam and then and then there was just a period where I just made a load of prototypes really quickly over the course of two weeks and and the sort of snake creature with characters riding on it came out of that and it was sort of a pulling together of lots of other ideas we had into just a new form that we hadn't quite done before and then and then we basically had a sort of Hohokam prototype but that it was enclosed in a bunch of little rooms it was like a bunch of little puzzle rooms and each room had a thing you had to do and okay uh, there was a there was a race there were there were like characters that had to carry heavy things for you to from place to place Uh, and then and then at the end of this like series of rooms there was a door that you could open to get outside and i remember talking to my brother who was like doing music with us at the time and Dick and being at his studio and, and, and my brother Rob was playing it and he got outside of this level and was just flying all the way around the outside of the level um, we were listening to there's a song, um, Lovely Alan by a band called Holy Fuck, a Canadian band Okay. and we were just listening to that watching the, this, the long mover the snake whiz around in like bounce off the walls and just like complete freedom like n- very open space type feeling right. just, and Rob was just drawing you know, d- making loops and making cool patterns kind of like flying a kite and we were like oh this is what this game is this game isn't all that all that stuff in this in this like series of of like puzzle caverns it's like mm. about it's much more expressive than that and much more free and fluid um, and then we made the game version of the game we showed at Eurogamer in 2010 right. and that was that was the like that was when we basically made a whole, whole level broadly huh. yeah it's it's interesting yeah i, I hadn't thought
0: of the the flying the kite analogy actually it is it is flying a kite isn't it yeah. it really is um so actually the the idea of it not being objective based wasn't necessarily there from the start or did you sort of go back and forth maybe? Yeah,
1: so when we showed it at Eurogamer the level was like the it was like a city being bombed. And the idea was you were rescuing people and taking them up to the sort of refuge spaceship that they were gonna get away in. And then up the top above that, above the right at the top of the level, we had this big hanging garden with all of these like fronds that you could fly through and attractors and repellers and things that bounce off and just to kind of we, we sort of put it up there as like a place to put all the stuff that we didn't know where to put it so we sort of chuck it all up there and we found that like you know some people were engaging with the proper we were going to rescue these people from the bombs and solve the puzzles yeah. actually a whole bunch of people were just quite happy to be up the top floating around and being like just, <sighs> just chilling and we were like Ah, maybe we don't even need any like explicit objectives. Yeah, and then the whole process of making a hurricane was basically figuring out like to what extent the game should explain itself and expose explicit things that you could do, and to what extent that could be quite vague. Mm. And I think our overall aesthetic for it, like I'm not sure we completely nailed this in the final version of the game, but like hopefully people sort of feel like they have freedom to wander around and just check stuff out at their own pace, and and the objectives in each place will sort of organically by osmosis sort of seep into their brain yes. and they'll just start mucking around with a thing and then they'll be oh yeah this is a thing I can do and then the game will be like yeah this is a thing you can do here's a here's like a little reward for it yeah but without the people ever feeling like they have you know they're stuck like it, w- yeah where, yeah where we've where we failed at that is when people feel like they're stuck in a place which is either we made a thing that was a bit too obtuse. Or it's where we made a thing that's just a funny, silly little thing. And people have read into it way more than there actually is. And they're like, but I don't know how to solve this. And it's like, you've, you've, look, you've made it light up. You've solved yeah. it. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> like.
0: Yes. I suppose you have that kind of, um, there's almost a, the, the gameplay loop of stumbling across a thing, right? You, you're sort of floating around or sneaking around an area. And, and you might knock into someone and, they, and something lights up and you go, oh, oh wait maybe all these light up or all these sort of open or you yeah. know and uh, yeah and, and making making light of that you know yeah. quite literally yeah but I
1: mean, but very, like, it, by its very nature it's impossible to set a nice consistent set of um, expectations <coughs> for her because every place is different, yeah. And even within a place, there's lots of weird inconsistencies that are, are the kind of the texture of the experience. that yeah. And trying to like set up a thing where people know for sure the reliable sense of like, oh, when I do this, this is going to happen. That just isn't really what her comes about.
0: And no. It's. Yeah. I suppose there's so much. I imagine there's. Uh, it's so important to get that blend of the visuals, uh, the behavior of the character. And the speed at which the snake moves around. Camera uh, framing. And the music choice. Yeah. To tell you, sort of implicitly tell you, look, just just don't worry about it. Just have a little explore. Things will happen. You might enjoy them and you can do it. Oh, you can't. You don't have to do it.
1: Nathan Gary from Sony Santa Monica suggested that we should have put a screen right at the start that just says, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) It's fine. Don't worry about it.
0: (laughs) It's interesting because um, I have seen, and uh, I've seen a criticism levelled at uh, Untitled Goose Game that there is a, to a to-do list mm-hmm. of like of things to do and busy work. Whereas, yeah. um, in a way, the more fun is like th- those little challenges are fun. I, I think I certainly yeah. think they are. In a way, the, the real joy is, is just having a bit of a dick about yourself and finding things yeah. to do and finding things that happen, right? I
1: think, the, I think Goose does a good job of um, putting that list behind a button that you can pretty much go into a new area and just be like, I'm just going to muck yeah. around here and see what there is to muck around with. Yes. And it's pretty likely you're going to do a bunch of the things on that list without even really caring about the to-do list. Yes, but and it
0: doesn't, doesn't throw it up as you enter an area and say, look at this now. Yeah,
1: I didn't feel like I was being railroaded into doing a specific task list that was getting in my way of my fun of being that goose at no, all. No,
0: no, yeah. no. It's interesting how you... The, the challenges of balancing that when you do want to have a through line and something of a story or something of a beginning and end to, to make it a, a shorter experience, right? And how you, how you manage that without sort of making the player feel or bothered by yep. the things they're meant to be doing and, um, whereas I think with something like you it's arguably a longer experience because you can just sit in there and there is no as you say the don't worry about it ethos is well do you want to play it for 10 minutes or do you want to sit here for half an hour and just you know yeah, we do were, a few bits and bobs we were and
1: mega surprised at how long people played that game for You know, like when you complete the game it tells you a completion time right and so you can find out what a lot of those you know what people spent time you know and, yeah. and we were like we thought oh, this will probably be maybe like a six hour game and i don't think anyone like most people play that game for like eight to 16 Ooh. hours yeah and it's like oh holy shit people are like <laughs> people are pissing about quite a lot that's, <laughs>
0: that's good yeah, yeah. when did your gaming career start
1: Uh, I mean I started making video games when I was about 11 I got an Osborne book of how to program okay uh, where you could like type in BBC basic listings and we had a BBC micro at school and I used to just sit and type out listings and run little write little programs yeah Um, and then got an Amiga and I spent from about age of 12 to 15 I made lots of Amiga games in Amos and Deluxe Paint Yep. yep like loads of them Like, really quite naive, simple things, but, you know, like, but with lots of love and time put into them. Um, And then when I was in sixth form, I spent a lot of time making MUDs. I got really into, like, Visual Basic, and uh, I had a modem, and, like, sort of the early days of BBSs and and dial-up MUDs, and I spent a lot of time making MUDs as (laughs) well, like, programming the sort of, yeah, like, so a completely different kind of thing, like, not visual at all, just like, more like database and, and syntactical parsing and... All that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, then I went to university and did computer science, and then I didn't do any game stuff at all. I mainly just did music. When I was right, at uni. so it sort of stopped there for a little while. Yeah, you I didn't... just was. I did. I did. The, I did what I needed to do to get a degree. Uh, but <laughs> I, did, I didn't. I didn't get massively into computer stuff while I was at uni. Hmm. Uh, and then I just came out of uni and fell into a fell into a job making mobile games. Right. Okay. You know, really, like in 2000? 2000 2000, yeah, 2000, 2001. So
0: you were mainly making things when you were younger just because you enjoyed making them and making games and it wasn't necessarily a kind of uh, career-long plan
1: there or anything like that or... I think it probably was when I was when I was like um, in sixth form I think I probably thought oh yeah I could, maybe I could make video games okay but I didn't it wasn't like oh it wasn't like a driving passion that I have to make video games mm. I was desperate to do it when I went to uni I was kind of into do, doing music stuff and I was started you know there were some things at uni I was quite interested in I was like oh, maybe I could get into like AI programming like I knew I wasn't going to go and work for a bank Right. But sure. I definitely wasn't like, oh, I have to go work in video games either. Hmm. Uh, and I just, I literally just left, I left uni. I got, a, I got a job working doing website stuff for like, I think that's like a three month contract, yeah. which basically paid my student loan off. And at that point, I think I was still, it was kind of up in the air. So like, what should I do next? Just like, you know, I was in London. There's lots of jobs available. I've got a decent degree. I could do lots of things. Okay. It could be potentially interesting. Um, but then just sort of fell into this company um, in Kentish Town, who called Morpheme, um, okay. run by folks from um, Cygnosis and and Sony. They oh, started okay. a mobile game developer, like just right at the start of mobile games. Yeah, when was that? It so it was two thousand and one. So like phones couldn't run code. There was no Java phones. There was no I certainly no iPhone or Android. Yeah. They were just like um, little web browsers on them, and you could you could like make a chess game or a backgammon game or right. a card game by like. Sending a little image, a procedurally generated image, black and white image, to your phone of like a chessboard or a backgammon board. Right. And then you just give them a simple interface of like drop downs that let you make your move and then submit that to the server and the server would update the game state, do whatever AI it needed to do, and <laughs> then send back another picture of what the what the current board looks like now. I did wow. that for a bit, that was quite fun. And then we and then <sighs> and then before long Java phones came out and then when Java Came phones came out, it was like, oh, this is like making stuff for the Amiga again. This hmm. is like really limited. You know, limited in lots of ways: memory, screen size, interface. Uh, but we can make games really quickly, and you know, churn out games like maybe one every three to four months. So I just spent a good few years making lots and lots of games.
0: It's interesting because it's it's almost got a uh, there's a sense of repetition there, in that you were learning how to make things on you know BBC Basic, and then up to the Amigas and Amos and things like that. And then when you started this job in phones, you're almost going back to that kind of. Uh, you know i was like at the, at the wouldn't consider it at the time but a limited tech yeah where you're using certain things and working within yeah. those restraints and then yeah the java came and as you say a bit like the amiga and though i've got a few more tools at my disposal now
1: yeah so did it feel like a sort of a weird repetition of that yeah i mean rec- so recently I, I i've probably always Worked in relatively limited environments in terms of like like making two D things, right? Like I've mostly made two D things, yeah, in quite and in in what is relatively quite a simple way compared with most modern games in the last five. You know, if you look at like say the last like five years of indie games made in Unity most of the stuff I've made is way technically simpler than any of that stuff sure in lots of ways yeah Um, and recently I've been like we've been making a game which we haven't announced in in, um, Unreal Engine so I've spent the last sort of almost three years now making a game in 3D and that's really felt like like a big like jump up to like oh my god all this stuff i have to figure out how to do it again (laughs) and like oh i feel so old it's so hard learning gets harder as you get older right like it definitely is a fact that it's easier to learn something in your you know teens or 20s than it is in your in your 40s for sure
0: people talk about brain plasticity don't they and yeah
1: yeah. And, and this definitely like where when we started a few years ago it kind of felt like this is the last chance, really, to get into this shit. Because if I <laughs> wait another five years, I'm just going to be too tired and old to even think about this stuff anymore. It's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the last, last, Last chance. But yeah, it's been last going all right. Last train. It's been going, been going pretty well, I think. Like, yeah. I've, I think I just about managed to, to like, you know, um, get most of my arm and elbow into the into the closing train door. <laughs> now the yeah. train's now the trains pulling me down yeah. the platform. <laughs> Leave the jacket, It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Just get yeah. on. Get yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is, so, had you done any work with three D before this, or almost none? I made really?
1: a, I made a three a, a D worms game, okay, where I had to like when do was a, a little bit of oh, I, I don't remember, like two thousand and I don't know five, six, okay, seven, I don't know, somewhere in there. Before, and what was that on before starting Honey Slug? I was on a Sony Ericsson phone that had 3D capabilities. <laughs> my god. <laughs> How was that? It was fun. Was yeah, it was good? kind of fun, yeah. Cause Cause like, this you, is a you difference. Could, right? You could do barely anything, right? You could you could render like, you know, you know, hundreds of polygons. <laughs> hundreds of textured polygons. So you had to really think about which polygons you wanted <laughs> to render really hard.
0: This is always a difference. This is why sadly <laughs> I never ended up down the game dev route because always an attractive idea to me. But when I hear make a 3D Worms game on a Sony Ericsson and I go oh Jesus that sounds like a nightmare and you just looked at me unironically and said it was fun it was great and, it was and, yeah and um, I work a lot with us two uh, I've got this ongoing for a photo documentary with us two games and I see the same thing there they'll, they'll be working on something for ages and not every time there'll be an unexpected problem depends when the deadline is right, but they'll just go. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder why that's happening, and they just go kind of fascinated, like delving into the cone and going, "Oh, it must be this," and just. But my mindset for that is, why isn't it? Please, just work. Why, you know. So I think it's I that.
1: I definitely have that. That yeah, I'm of, sure that happens sometimes. Sake, why isn't it working? <laughs> thing too, but yeah. No, broadly, I think I'm. I probably am quite an optimistic, cheerful person. Sure. Partly by disposition, and partly just because over the years i've found it to be a useful set of muscles in my brain to develop okay the feeling of just being like this is probably going to be okay and it's probably going to be interesting and fun yeah and if you sort of tell yourself that enough it starts to become sort of true okay. you know it's just like any like anything if you, if you if you if you keep putting your brain into a certain state repeatedly over a long period of time and you get enough reinforcement they're like oh yeah it did turns out it did turn out all right like yes then, yeah. and then you kind of do that feedback loop where it's like yeah remember that remember how awful that like you think this is awful this is going to be awful i'm terrified then you think but wait a minute remember before when you were terrified and it was awful but actually you were like it's going to be all right and it turned out it was all right well it's kind of the same yeah yeah probably it's probably going to be all right
0: so that's something you've worked at that not not,
1: i've probably only become aware of it in in more recently okay but yeah i think i think broadly i've yeah like over the years i've just kind of just got you better at like remembering times when things are going to be okay were okay and just creating that little feedback loop of like
0: Hmm. yeah
1: because because you know like making video games especially i think making the kind of video games that we make where you know it does really feel like i'm every time i make a thing i'm throwing myself almost almost wantonly and deliberately into the unknown in a direction where i've just got no idea what we're doing or why we're doing it that I think you kind of need you need a survival mechanism to cope with that because otherwise you're gonna really have a bad time, you know. And so I think yeah. you, you, you you couldn't I couldn't really do that without a way of coping with the psychological consequences of of the unknown. Sure, you know. So I'm cu- I was gonna move into a slightly different side of things but i'm really
0: curious to know if you remember any of the uh amiga things you made and that kind of yeah. that kind of era of i made a game
1: called burble the dragon which was a game where your dragon had to go through a bunch of mazes and and you could only move in straight lines so it's like a grid based top down game okay where you move in straight lines you press up down left or right and you move in a straight line until you hit something yeah. and it's like that thing where you've got to bounce around a maze i'm moving my hands in the air which you can't see but like yeah <laughs> uh, and you have yeah. to collect your egg and then get your egg back to the exit and then there are loads of blocks that do things like, you know, a, vol- a smouldering volcano that when you go over it the first time, it's, it's, it's not going to hurt you, but you can't pass back over it the second time. Okay. Just like yeah. a bunch of simple stuff like that, which yeah. is probably when I was about 13, 14. Okay. Um, I made lots of weird little simulation things like games with dinosaurs and wizards that would all move around on the screen by themselves. Okay. And it would be the kind of thing where you could just sort of prod at it and like, you know, like those really simple things where there's um, rabbits and wolves and you can like watch the rabbit's population get really big and then the wolves eat them and they multiply loads and then, you know, those I was really into that stuff.
0: Huh. Um, Makes you think of things like um, little computer people and yeah. is that the sort of thing. Yeah, that and, like,
1: and at the time, uh, Bullfrog were huge, right? And Populous yes. and Powermonger and Theme Park and all those things were massive mm. and that was a, had a big influence on me as a kid. Like, not I, was, I wasn't good enough to program any of them but I just sort of half-arsed them enough that at least superficially yeah. I could get a thing on screen that sort of, t- you know, tickled that... Know, yeah. Need for me to like, yeah. Yeah. Sort of pseudo complex things. Yes. Um. Yeah.
0: So, they, so were those the sort of like bullfrogs work? Is that the kind of thing that yeah. you were uh, into when you were? Yeah, that no, age I did. I did
1: work experience at Bullfrog when I was right. a kid. I did. I did two lots of work experience when I was like <coughs> fourteen and when I was sixteen, I think. Right. Um. They were down in Guildford. I was in. I was in like Purley. Right. Okay. Croydon sort of way. So it wasn't that that far from me. Was it a case um, of writing
0: off to them and? Yeah pretty much.
1: Yeah. yeah and then I and then I just go down there every day and just work in the testing department and just like test test give feedback find bugs report bugs right. it's lovely. It's right. a really, really good place. What were you, what were you testing do you remember? I did uh, Magic Carpet 2. I did right. The first version of Dungeon I, Keeper. I forgot
0: there was a Magic Carpet too. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> is I it love good? Is it. really magic good.
1: Magic Carpet is like one of uh, the game that I most want somebody to have done a really amazing remake of. Mm. Like I'm VR. I've got so little interest in, in like remakes of I don't know like the modern isometric sim games like sure. magic games. But I would love someone to make a really great Magic Carpet game, which is basically like the f- feeling of moving very fast and rotating very quickly. Yeah the feeling of uh, those landscapes moving around those landscapes mm. and the feeling of terraforming them yes all that stuff is so good
0: yes yeah I think I think it would be a good VR <laughs> it. maybe it might feel slightly <coughs> depending on the speed of the carpet right but it feels like you know looking over the side of the carpet and getting that sense of you
1: definitely vom, I reckon
0: wonder, yeah you probably would, would wouldn't would. you but to try and recreate that level of you know from, from being a kid and thinking oh my god I'm going really far in this massive world right that, yeah <laughs> no, that seems like the best bet, hitting it in VR. Well, d- once the tech is I don't, reasonable. I don't
1: really believe in VR or care no. about VR, no. Well, I don't
0: really, but I'm just... If if I, if I someone was trying to find a way to get me into it, I think Magic Carpet right. VR would... <laughs> I so might go, all right, maybe. We'll yeah. have a look at this, right. Um, so it seems like throughout things you made, things games you're interested in, uh, the sort of things you were making you know at whatever stage um there's a strong kind of non-violent game creation yep. through line there right yeah is that something that you've always had something in terms of your interests is i that think
1: over time it's become more of a like uh, like point we're making like um, okay but i i wouldn't say it's like a um I think the main, the, main thing that, the main thing that it is is, like, there are lots of video games with loads of violence in them. Yes. And it feels like that side of things is covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, the stuff that I'm interested in making is stuff that hasn't been made before. Like, very explicitly. Like, I, I just don't see the point in going, I'm going to make another one of those games, but here's my little twist on it. Like, yeah. who, I, I just can't bring myself to spend three years of my life doing that. Yeah, okay. And so if I'm going to make something, it has to be something that hasn't really been made before. Okay. And if I'm going to do that, then, you know, probably it's not going to involve... Violence. I mean, Loot Rascals has violence. Loot Rascals has you kind of whacking these weird little alien creatures to yeah. sort of c- kill them and, and, sure. and steal steal stuff off them. Like, it, So it's not I'm like there must be absolutely no violence of any kind in any of my games as much as it is just i want to make interesting stuff that's not been done before yeah and that probably means that good directions are not going to be shooting or, mm. or, or you know any other kind of violence particularly
0: yeah and that's violence in, in the spirit of you know the way chess has violence yeah. right Where you take pieces you know yes. it's 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 kind of a you know <laughs> yeah. on the scale of things right yeah um so, we're going to be scooting around a little bit now, games-wise, but um, what you were just saying there could bring us to Wilmot's Warehouse. Yeah. The idea of making something that, again, that you've not really seen before, yeah. um, that is non-violent, that has that... Um, just, yeah, just the idea of exploring a new way to play something. Yeah. Um, where, how did Wilmot's Warehouse start life? How did that so come about? When,
1: when we were making um, Hohokam, Dick Hogg, the guy I work with on games, was sort of pitching this idea that maybe we could make a warehouse game okay and he he was only pitching it quite wholeheartedly because we we weren't very enthusiastic about it but he was like he he used to have warehouse jobs okay uh, boots and asda where stacking the stacking the back stock rooms and then Mm. you know moving stock around and turning that into a game and he was just really into the idea he said this would make a great game And, and he was he was imagining it and pitched it as like a 3d game um, okay. And we would always just take the piss out of him. I don't, I don't want to spend... I don't want to make a 3D warehouse game. Sorry, Dick. <laughs> like, no. I'm just not feeling it for that. Yeah. But then, and then while I was making Loot Rascals, he um, started working on a series of, of tiles. Like um, square art assets for a game that he didn't really know what it was i I think he started off thinking he might be able to make a match three game right and then gradually started as he started drawing more and more tiles with different categories and like ways in which they were similar and different i think he started to have other ideas about what this thing could be um and he would sort of show me these tiles and we'd sort of talk about it and and i think there was a period where he was thinking about getting another programmer to like collaborate with like Send it off to a bunch of folks who are like friends of ours who might be interested in working with Dick on a game, hmm. and maybe make a thing that's like a maybe a puzzle game or a match three game or something. And then one of the ideas kicking around was like, hey, maybe these would be like a warehouse. These could like that. These are, these these things could be like things in a warehouse game, maybe. Right, and then still, one
0: still trying at the warehouse angle at this point, right? Yeah, I,
1: d- yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't really remember how well we, when we made that connection. But then I <clears> went to Ireland for Christmas. I go to my in-laws for Christmas. Um, and I often take my laptop. Like the kids are just mucking about, you know, out in the on the tire swing in the barn, and it's just like, you know, I, I quite like using those kinds of holidays as a way of having a break from making video games by making another different kind of video game, <laughs> like like having a, yeah like like a, like a video game holiday.
0: I suppose I suppose it gives you uh, a creative space where there's no pressure.
1: Yeah, I don't have and to talk to anyone about it. No, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. I don't. There are no dependencies other than I'm just sitting there, tinkering around with a thing, and it might turn into a real thing or it might not, and it, it doesn't matter either way. Really, it's like you know, it's the equivalent of reading some books or watching some crap telly at Christmas. Like,
0: I suppose, it, and it gives you that creative freedom to. You're not. There's no considerations uh, affecting your ideas. There's no sort of real world considerations no. affecting your ideas, which no. arguably makes it a better. Breeding ground for for oh yeah yeah if it was like I've got to I've
1: got to come up with something that could be the next game that would suck yeah so it's definitely not that and and usually these things are like you know I wouldn't be running Unreal on my laptop and and like dealing doing like big complicated things it's more like what what small silly little things can I throw together that will be fun Mm. to muck around with in the context of a week off work and I just thought I'm going to make Dick's warehouse idea with these tiles and surprise (laughs) him (laughs) so I so I got him to send me the PDF without really telling me telling him why i wanted yeah. it and i just cut the tiles up and i threw them into this thing where you could just basically they got a bunch of them got randomly delivered in one end and then um and then you had a bunch of shelves that you could put them on in the original version and you were like a kind of cursor that moved around and picked up groups of them and rotated them and moved them and dropped them and just made this and it's like and sent it to dick i was like there you go there's your warehouse game get <laughs> get sorting mate and uh, yeah and then we we just kind of went from there we're just like this this feels good let's let's kind of keep going and yeah just did keep you, did you come shape. straight
0: back to it was there any intention to do anything with it at that point or was it a bit yeah of a i think
1: like pretty early on like you know not there wasn't even there wasn't even a game in the sense that the game was asking you to deliver anything specific even like at the point when we had a bunch of these because i think dick had designed like something like a hundred tiles in the first batch right so they were already enough that you could get, have interesting stuff happening when you deliver a random load of them and you could already start thinking, well, where are like, I... You, know, you could already start playing the game in your head of, like, moving objects around and, yeah. and then I think I implemented, like, saving and loading mm. and then before the game was even asking for any tiles to be removed from, from the warehouse, you already had a thing that we were like, yeah, this, this is going to be fun, I think, probably. <laughs>
0: I have no link, but who cares? Um, (laughs) Ten you on your teens.
1: Ten you on your teens, yeah. (laughs) There is no
0: link. It needs no link.
1: Um, Uh, Both video games that I worked on, (laughs) that's the link. That's the link.
0: (laughs) Um, So I played this at the VNA a a while back when it came to... I don't have a memory. When it came through the VNA, and I can't remember the evening, but it was an evening of going around playing things, and it was there, right? Um, How did this come about, and and this collaboration with um, Takahashi yeah
1: so we i'm I'm a member of a collective called wild rumpus and we do like playing in public we do like parties and we run a thing at at gdc which is a big game conference every year where we showcase a bunch of games in a sort of relaxing space and over the years we've done a bunch of like yeah like connecting the public or people in a play in a physical space with some interesting video game experiences To,
0: to nest that in this how did Rumpus come about initially how, how did that all start uh,
1: Wild Rumpus started when um, so Marie Fauston one of the other founders of Wild Rumpus and, and, and she and I were at Nordic Games Conference in 2000 I think 11 when Doug Wilson invented Johann Sebastian Joust at the Nordic Game Jam which was played with Wiimotes and we spent a whole night drinking and playing Joust in this bar in the uh, conference centre in, in Copenhagen uh, no, Malmo. And afterwards, I remember that, like, the next day, I think we were sitting around on a bench outside being like, it would be good if we could do that kind of thing in London, wouldn't it? Like, if we could show this thing in London. And we just had this idea of like, pre- previously we'd been to, um, uh, Dick and I showed a game called Poto and Kabenga in a thing called Gamma. Um, and Gamma 4 was, was run by um, Kokoromi, who is, uh, it's like a collective. There's like Phil Fish, Damien Defeed. Cindy Premba, Heather Kelly, four, four Canadians who right. formed this collective and started doing public things, event, events. Mm. Um, and they put a shout-out for One Button Games. We entered, and in 2010, we were in their sort of Gamma 4 showcase of One Button Games. Right. With, with Button, actually, which is a game that Doug Wilson also worked on. Right. And it was basically just like a big, cool bar in San Francisco with DJs and people drinking, and all the games on projectors, yeah. and it was like, oh, this is just like going to a nightclub or going to, a, a, you know, go see some bands with your mates. Yes. Except all the things that people are doing are video games. Yeah. And it's super cool, and we ev- like everyone's having a lovely time, and there's loads of people here who don't give a shit about video games, but they're having a good time. And we yeah. just we, we were just like we want to do something like that, and maybe we do something that's like more like have showcase physical stuff like 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 joust, for example, which was just starting to become a thing with motion controllers. And yeah, so Maria and I started talking about it and then we started talking to Dick about what we would call it and about Dick, about doing the branding. And I think the three of us were the... Yeah, we were like the initial three people that started it. And then we did the first one in Brick Lane in London uh, and it was just like a massive hit. Like, we did it at... I think, is it 93 feet east? There's like a bar on Brick Lane, at the top of Brick Lane, which has a big outside courtyard. And we showed Joust there, Mm. which by now was running on PlayStation Move controllers. And the bar the bar gave us the venue Just on, they they took the bar and they didn't charge us for the hire I don't think if they did right. it it was cheap and so we didn't have like, have to sell ma- massive you know have to get massive amounts of people along it was, okay. it was free and we got like a decent handful of people along you know from Twitter and word of mouth but like, we did okay at getting some games people along but then when Joust started being played outside in the courtyard with these light up controllers, and you got the passing brick lane traffic. Yeah. By about nine nine thirty in the evening, it was absolutely rammed, huh. and we had no idea who were video game people and who were like members of the public anymore. Right, and it was just everyone was just playing joust and having an amazing time, and we were like, yes, that's fantastic. This is the thing now. Yes, yeah, yeah We should just keep doing stuff like this, and then we did we did that for like a, you know a bunch of parties and things for a while, um, and including we, so we we were doing the party at GDC um, for for a few years. Um, and because, I guess, you're doing a party at GDC, you're going to sell tickets to it, you, you hire a venue, you, you buy tickets, and, and the, the difference between how many tickets we sold and the venue hire gave us a bit of money, which we were like, we could do something with this money, like, we could pay people to make some work, we could commission some stuff. Um, and then it's like, who could we commission? Maybe we could com- ask Cater if he was interested. And we, we spoke to Cater and he was like totally up for yeah. doing a thing. And he sent us a drawing of those two little boys from 10-year-old teens running around a big long string of um, uh, coloured lights, like LED lights. Kind right. of like, um, t- kind of like um, Robin Baumgarten's game. Yes, um, with uh, the, line Wobbler. Yeah, line Wobbler, but, but with a much longer string. And um, <laughs> George Buckingham costed it. Uh, V21 who's also one of the rumpus people by now he costed it up and he's like no it's too expensive we can't afford that we can't afford an LED strip that goes all the way around the whole room we you're like okay sorry Katie you can't do that give us another idea and then he sent us back a drawing of the two uh, colourful button controllers it's just like two two controllers each controller's got four by four coloured light up buttons mm. and it's a game where all the color, different colours do different actions um, and we were like costed that up yeah we can afford to do that let's do that yeah um, and so then it was like, okay, someone's got to make this. And I was like, all right, I'll do it, sure. Um, and then Cater and I just made it in about two weeks over really? Christmas. Yeah. Oh that's, that's the connection to Wilmot's Warehouse. They're both, both games that I just made at Christmas on a laptop <laughs> while, whilst watching the telly. Um, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't speak to Cater or meet Cater at all until we finished the game. I oh, only, really? only talked to him on Skype instant messenger. <laughs> it's like sending him messages. Um, it was really smooth. It was like, yeah, like we figured out the basic idea quite quickly. Like I was like, "Cater, can we just make it like Golden Axe? It's like, it's like that perspective. It's flip screen scrolling. Each screen has some stuff on it. And he's like, "Yep, yeah, sure. Make it like Golden. Axe. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Golden Axe game. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like Golden Axe. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, <laughs> and yeah, like he, we made the whole game in, in like I don't know, like a, a day or so, a couple of days, with oh. all just Cater's hand-drawn, pencil-drawn. Drawings and animations. Yeah, and then and then we and then Katea did the the coloured characters in Illustrator, and then I put in place what I thought was going to be placeholder animations in right. Flash, just like really <laughs> a, a weird tweeny animations. Yeah, uh, and then we got the whole game working with like nice backgrounds and nice objects. Yeah. and then I was like, to Kate, Kate said, to Kate, when are we are we, sh- are we going to get like an animator? or Are you going to like animate these things? He's like, No, <laughs> no, the animation is fine. Yeah, it's like, okay, <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> with that, then good. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: I mean, all of those things are just absolutely his wheelhouse in every every sense, in every way, aren't they? Yeah. Like I say, the animation, the way it animated, is just perfect, exactly what he likes. It's really stupid, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just the his interest because you know, he um, he had that playground project in uh, Nottingham, yeah, yeah, it was in Nottingham, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and that sense of that's what he's more interested in that social. Play interaction between yeah. people side of things isn't he creating things that bring people together to do that sort of thing so that all i mean he's yeah. a perfect fit my for first it, really, experience of,
1: of hanging out with kato was playing that game with him in the bar that we were going to show it in at the party yeah and just realizing how how like how physical like it was it, immediately we were like physically fighting each other to pre- <laughs> press each other's buttons yeah. like, <laughs> so you know you can sabotage the other person by pressing the wrong button yeah. But yeah pretty much the whole time we were playing it was just that just like us having like a almost a proper fight
0: So we had honey slug uh we've now got hollow ponds mm-hmm. um this kind of um these elements that persist through uh things that you make um obviously, I know we can it's unannounced, but yeah I'll, I'll ask you it in this way in yep. terms of the future, just generally future projects and and yep. and things that you make mm-hmm. um what's the most important to you? in the games that you make what's most important to you in, in, in how they turn out and, and what they look like what's, what's the key what are the key values I
1: think, the key, I think, I think our key values are honestly just the whether we had a nice time making them and whether the people on the team had a good time and whether we enjoyed the process of hanging out together making a thing okay. more than any specific result of, of the final game right um so yeah for me it's like when i'm choosing people to work with and then as we move forwards it's like finding nice people to work with and then having a nice shared experience of making a thing and that's that's really like the thing i want to be most proud of and the thing i think it's it's also just just feels useful to optimize for that rather than like you know um rather than a specific, you know, having any specific values in terms of the end product, you know, that that is the game. Um, You know, I think that um, games can be good and interesting for so many different reasons. And also the things we're making are so unknown when we even start making them. And even quite close to the end, they're quite unknown what they're going to really turn out to be. That trying to sort of adhere to like a set of values that are like to do with the end product just feels just not how we think about things really it's just like yeah yeah so there's, there's
0: almost a, a playfulness in the creation and the prototyping stage of, of how you do things right in terms of the yeah the freedom of it as you say some of the some of the most interesting ideas you've had have come off when you went on holiday and re- yeah. relaxing and yeah we
1: want like we want to start start with an idea that's interesting but then get people in to help us Figure out what it is as, as we go along, I think. That's definitely been true of the, of the current game we're working on. Okay. And it was definitely true of the sort of second half of making Hohokam. Uh, yeah. Is that the people that came in to help brought huge amounts of stuff in terms of their own experiences and creativity and ideas. And when I think about yeah. the experience of making Hohokam, I think mostly about those meetings and those conversations and just the experience of like coming together to make a cool thing. Um, rather than actually any of the specific details of the thing itself
0: gotcha yeah Yeah. so it's 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 about finding what sticks but also finding these collaborators and 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 who are finding people as excited about working on it as you are i guess
1: yeah that that's never luckily so far that's not been too much of a problem yeah we've been able to find people who are interested in coming on these strange journeys with us and and, ha- and have had a good time along the way. That's not been a, yeah, I think, I, I guess, you, you know, we just, we've just we just reached the point where we have a good enough track record that we're like, um, it's probably going to be okay. This is probably going to be, th- you're probably going to end up have worked on a thing that turns out to be good, hopefully, you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. the hope anyway, but
0: yeah. Don't, just don't worry about it. Okay? Yeah, don't worry about it, exactly. <laughs> um so, just finally, so give us a little idea of the setup now at Hollow Ponds, and
1: uh, well, Hollow Ponds is a company run by myself and my wife. Um, uh, so, my wife Nikki does all of the like um, business, finance, admin, um, legal—you know, all the stuff that means that we're a real company that can pay people and yeah. and, and talk to her accountants and and you know, do, do make you know everything. She she does all the kind of running of the company, um, cash flow projections, and and milestones and all that kind of stuff Um, and then I guess I'm the other director and sort of broadly like a creative director but then we share a lot of I share a lot of that with Dick Hogg who's a you know the guy that we collaborate with in lots of games Hmm. so he's like a he's he's like a separate company I guess like on in our stuff there's like both of our splash screens there's like his splash screen which is just his name right and then there's a hollow pond splash screen and we basically just have a, a, a shared arrangement for making stuff together for the stuff that we make together. Um, and then we hire a bunch of freelancers um, so right now on our current game we've got like um, a couple of other programmers and um, some people making 3D art and some people doing 3D animation and some people doing 2D animation and some musicians and uh, audio designers and producer and yeah we've got, I think our current game is like about 12 people or so, That's okay. that sort of scale.
0: Is that, is that the most you've had on a, a project? Uh, or have was similar
1: yeah okay Hokam was similar loot rascals was similar like it's, it's, it's you know it's the, the, all the projects vary a little bit by in terms of what balance of roles they need you know, mm. so to, you know none of our other games have only needed any 3 d artists for example right um, but they needed 2 d artists Hohokam had lots of 2 d animators on it yeah um, whereas whereas other games I've worked on had had less like all the games I worked on had less 2 d animation than than Hohokam probably yeah. all you know it's unlikely we'll ever make a game with as much two D animation <laughs> in it as Hocum because there's quite so a lot. much in that game. There's loads. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they all have roughly they all have roughly the same number of people though. Like it's it's in that sort of like eight to fifteen sort of mm. space. Like I wouldn't want to make a game with loads more people than that. Yeah, I think I think because I, I you know I, I don't I don't ever want to be someone that just puts the paintbrush down and just starts my only job is just talking to people even though I spend quite a lot of my time talking to people about their work and I I do like to also be involved with the making of stuff and writing code and being involved in that side of it you know the very practical side so for Wilmot I did you know maybe 90% of the programming a guy called Rory O'Sullivan came in and helped Right, get the sort of final version out and did a bunch of stuff at the end inherited my code and ran with it but I, I did most of the programming on that but on our current game I've mostly done like UI programming okay, and other bits and bobs of certain other bits of various systems um, on Loot Rascals I did a bunch of stuff early on and then I did a bunch of UI programming I mean Loot Rascals does a lot of UI in anyway, anyway um, but yeah so that, just that fact that I've wanted to be really up close to the thing I'm making and like pra- hands on practically working on it just puts a natural limit on how the size of thing i want to make and how many people but also i just just aesthetically i like working with like a little team of people like that rather than it being like two or three times bigger
0: yes um i i guess that if you're actually involved in making it as well you can make smarter decisions than if you're just looking at it from a very much top-down view or looking at from the outside right you can You've got a better. Yeah, understanding. I know exactly what.
1: I kn- yeah, I know exactly what's going on. Yeah. on all the games that we've worked on for sure. Yeah, I don't really have a man- I don't really have like a kind of manager's abstraction of things. Yes, it's, I do actually genuinely know exactly yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah,
0: and there's that critical size, isn't there, for for that sort yeah. of. That yeah, it couldn't game it couldn't well.
1: get it couldn't get significantly bigger than the teams that we have, and I wouldn't want it to. And I'm pretty happy with the kind of stuff we're able to make with with those teams of those sizes. You know. Hmm. Especially when you're making a thing for two, two years, three years. That's like you know that many pe- that many really smart, talented people working on a thing for that long. You're going to be able to make a good, cool thing. Yes. You know.
0: Yeah. It seems to be that's that seems to be a pattern I'm seeing in a lot of successful things now. Is that two three year period, eight to fifteen people, um, that that sort of area of, of yeah. time versus. Very talented people combination, you know, is, yeah. is creating some interesting things. I mean, you can like, do it
1: with less, like um, the guy, Obradin. That's the guy that made Obradin. Oh yes, man, that game is incredible. And yeah, it's just him. Yes, well, yeah, <laughs> Lucas Pope. Yeah, yeah, that's good uh, work, Lucas Pope. Yeah, good, good work, Lucas I'm not that Pope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well done, Lucas. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but well done. Yeah, God, yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, an outlying sort of uh, yeah. <laughs> exception proving the rule, there, isn't it? Yeah, good lord. You were talking about getting the itch for yeah. making music or making making sounds or making yeah. bits and bobs I'd is that lo- something lo- you're gonna do
1: I don't know I really want to I really want to get a drum kit and I want to get a <laughs> yeah. if I had if I in my fantasy scenario I would have my my cellar would be empty of crap and I would have a drum <laughs> kit and a, a Twelve-track digital recording thing, yeah and I'd just be able to go down there and noodle about with some keyboards and guitars and drums, and just make some noises and press record, and like get my kids to come down and like yeah. make some noises, and just like have a sort of yeah, get back to that feeling of just like making some musical things in a very unpressured way, because mm. um, I really love doing that, and I think that I I'm hoping that will kind of come to some sort of fruition in the next decade for me. <laughs> okay. You know?
0: Good timescale. Uh, yeah, I don't have any
1: particular like you know it's not like I have a you know, another album in me that I have to record or anything. Oh, I just sure. miss I just miss sitting around in a room looking at the other people in the room playing some music and then okay. listening back to it and being like, Yeah, that was cool. That's a nice that's a nice cool weird thing we made, you know.
0: So you're not tempted to uh sort of um, put your two cents in on sound design and, and music tracks on what you're doing now and that kind I of thing? I definitely
1: or? do that. Like, um, yeah. yeah, like I work quite closely with our audio designers. Okay. Um, and, and in our current game, there are a bunch of sound effects that are also just me making noises <laughs> with my mouth, sort of mixed in with other things. Ah, the Takahashi and, approach. Yeah, like I definitely, yeah, like I, I, I think I'm pretty hands-on with that side of things and the music side I definitely like. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't announce our musician for our new game, but it's really exciting. Like, we lo- I love working with, um, with like, you know, musicians. Yeah. Um, on video games and it's a really important part of our process you know the music is a very important yeah. um, aspect of, of pretty much all the games I've made in recent years um, and yeah I, I really enjoy that aspect of it it's like it's not, there's nothing it's not really very technical I mean it, it has strings that go out into technical and game design stuff but broadly it's like this separate thing that's just about the vibe and the atmosphere and the feel of a thing that you're making that it, it really feels like a break from thinking about all the other stuff.
0: I was talking to Paul Kilduff Taylor, Mode Seven, and he says he doesn't. He's not a fan of um, adaptive soundtracks, mm. where it depe- depending on what's happening, unless he says you know exceptions, but he yep. says he doesn't like that thing of you know you get closer to an enemy and, and and something ramps up and you move away mm. and it and it dies down yeah. again because he says because it doesn't sound right to him because you can just kind of keep. In theory, you can just sort of walk up to that enemy and back off four yeah, or five yeah, times yeah. and it sounds weird. It's sort of ramping up and down. He says he hates that. It depends on the
1: granularity. Have. right? I agree with, his, with that <coughs> example for sure, mm. but I think that in Hohokam, there's loads of adaptive music that's not quite like that. It's more just like as the state of the level gradually changes, layers come in in the music. And we definitely don't ever do a thing where you directly link the player's action or position or movement to a Mm. layer going on and off because then yeah you get that horrible thing of like it feels too mechanical it feels like the player is literally in control of the levers but I think when a piece of music can without the player even noticing subtly change as the player's experience of a place changes I think that can be properly great Um, Mm. and when you you get it right it, it can be really good yeah
0: so yeah, so you're 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 partly scratching your itch by getting involved in the sound design and the and the music. Not enough though. But not, not enough.
1: No, no. The, the itch I really want to scratch is the feeling of just playing playing music and improvising and for the yeah, sake of it, about for the sake of it. Yeah. That
0: seems to be a lot of your the yeah. creativity that you mucking enjoy about. is it's just mucking, mucking about at first, yeah. and then if something comes with it, then it does, yeah. and then you can work on it rather yeah. than sitting down and going right. I have to find something for this that's already existing. I need something to fit that. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely.
0: Cool. Well, I mean, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been lovely. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. It's been fun.